Good morning, City Walk Church. I'm so glad that you're here. Whether, whether you find yourself a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe today your mother-in-law talked to you into coming with a free lunch at the end of this thing, I'm so thankful that you're here and that you would take some time out of your Easter morning to join us for this special day. Uh, Easter is one of those, those days that, that, that means different things for different people and is important to different people for different reasons. If you're somebody that works in retail, then uh, this is a, a great time of year to con- uh, kind of boost sales again after the Christmas holidays. And so retailers are excited because, man, sales get boosted a little bit. Uh, if you are a mom, this is the one day a year that you can definitely get your kid to come to church with you. No matter kind of what, what they do on a normal basis, this is the day that, you know what, all right, mom, I'll go to church with you this time. If you're a kid, I mean, what, what better day is there today? I'm, I'm sure you're excited about Jesus rising from the dead as a five-year-old, but you're really excited about waking up to a basket full of food that you're told not to eat the rest of the year, and people actually give it to you, and then you get to run through the grass and find more candy, things you're not supposed to eat that you actually get to until your parents steal it from you a few days later. Not that you guys do that. We do it at our house. Uh, if, if you're a husband, this is the one day a year that your wife can buy a new outfit and actually blame Jesus for it. And, and it's, it's legit. But, but for most of us, whether you grew up in church or not, whether you consider yourself religious or not, today is a day that we celebrate the work of Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning, and and if you're honest, you find yourself a little bit skeptical of this whole Jesus thing, even on Easter morning. Or maybe you would say, you know what, I'm not super skeptical of it, I'm just honestly a little bored of it. Uh, It's, yeah, I get it, and Jesus, resurrection, all that, but but I'm kind of bored of it. Maybe you kind of were, you you look back over the last few years of your life, and you'd say, you know what, I've honestly been kind of hurt by religion. I've tried the church thing, and and I've actually been hurt by the church. Maybe you're the type of person that you grew up in a house where your mom and dad had this list that you had to keep, and if you kept that list, God was happy with you, but if you happened to do some things that weren't on that list, God was mad at you, and you just got tired of trying to keep up with the list, and so you kind of threw in the towel after high school. Maybe you find yourself, if you're honest, saying, you know what, to me, church people freak me out. If I'm being honest, that church people are weird. And honestly, we've earned that in a lot of cases because we have done some weird stuff over the years and signed Jesus' name to it. Maybe you're somebody that has been a little skeptical of faith over your life and you're, you're, uh, you have a great intellect and so you ask a lot of questions and, and when you ask questions about the Bible, you get answers like, hey, just believe, just have more faith. You get these little pat answers and, and people almost make you feel guilty for asking questions and so you kind of threw in the towel a long time ago because, man, nobody would really answer the questions that you had. No matter what your background is, No matter how bad you've been hurt by the church, no matter how much freaky stuff you've seen people do in the name of Jesus, today's a day that I would encourage you to lean in. I would encourage you no matter what has happened in your past, no matter what your religious experience is in the past, to consider following Jesus. 
Because most of the things that pushed you away from Jesus, Jesus never even said. Most of the things that pushed you away from Jesus aren't even foundational to what Jesus was here for. In fact, the foundation of the whole movement that Jesus started rests on an event. And it rests on the event of the resurrection. And if, and if Jesus was able to predict his death, predict his resurrection, and pull it off, then it trumps all our other questions. If somebody can predict their death, predict their resurrection, and actually pull it off, you go with whatever that guy says. And Jesus, we believe, did that. And if Jesus really did that, then what it does is it takes all the other things that Jesus said and it validates them. It validates what he said about death. It validates what he said about hope, about forgiveness, about the future. Because if he rose from the dead, it changes everything. And if you're somebody here that's maybe a little skeptical of this whole thing, you should hope that it's true. You, you should hope, we should all, whether we're skeptical or not, we should hope that Jesus really rose from the grave. But honestly, we don't believe it because we hope that it's true. We believe it because we believe it happened in history. We believe there was a man by the name of Matthew who was a tax collector. He was uh, basically a thief to the Jews. He worked for the Romans and he saw the resurrected Jesus and he wrote about it. We believe there was a man by the name of Mark who interviewed Peter, one of Jesus' followers that saw Jesus die and saw him alive again and he wrote about it. We believe that there was a man by the name of Luke that was a doctor who investigated thoroughly the claims of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and wrote in detail about it. We believe there was a man by the name of John who was the first disciple to be at the empty tomb that then went and wrote about it. We believe there was a man by the name of James who was Jesus' brother. I mean, how legit do you have to be for your brother to think you're God? Think, think about growing up with Jesus. I mean, James, that, that was not something he would have signed up for. To actually have Jesus, God's son, be your brother and do everything perfect. And in fact, James, early on in Jesus' ministry, he thought his brother was a freak show. But then he saw his brother die. And his brother appeared to him resurrected, and it changed everything for James. And then there was this man by the name of Paul, who was one of the greatest opponents to what was called the way. It was the movement that Jesus started. He was one of the greatest opponents of it, to the point where he helped kill people that were part of it. And then he saw the resurrected Jesus, and it changed everything for him. See, we believe Jesus rose from the dead because eyewitnesses saw it, they wrote it down, and then many of them gave their life, not for what Jesus said, but for what they saw, a resurrected Christ. They gave their life for it. And the craziest thing is, none of them expected it. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus, like, so many times it's like, hey guys, by the way, I'm going to die and then three days later I'm going to rise again. And it was like over their head every single time. 
You'd think after Jesus died that at least one of them would have been like, didn't Jesus say something when we were sitting at Starbucks together about raising from the dead? But none of them expected it. And so what we're going to do quickly is we're going to look at one of the narratives written by John about the day that they went to the tomb and found that the body was gone. But before we go there, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about something. What if Jesus' resurrection isn't even true? What if the whole thing's a lie? What if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we know they wrote their, their, their books about 30-ish years after the actual death of Jesus. What if they had an agenda to move the, the movement of Jesus forward and Jesus had died? It had been 30 years and so they said, hey, we're going to doctor up the end of the story a little bit to kind of keep some wind in this movement. Well, I mean, what if that is what happened? See, if that happened, you would think that these guys would describe themselves in the story as heroes, but they actually describe themselves as cowards in the story. If they wrote something that was fiction, that had an agenda to move this thing forward, they would have wrote themselves into the story as better than what they wrote themselves into the story. But, but what if they didn't even write it? What if, as some people say, 80 to 100 years after the death of Jesus, some people got together and, man, loved what Jesus stood for, loved what he said, and said, hey, we want to keep this thing moving as long as we can. And so, hey, let's, let's take some things that we saw and let's kind of write this thing and, and let's write a believable story that's going to move this thing forward. What if that happened? See, if they were making up a story that people would believe how do you think they would have described the disciples, the leaders of the movement? They would have des described the disciples as confident leaders, but instead you find characters that are surprisingly real in each one of the accounts. They all admit in these accounts, hey, the night Jesus died, we all ran. In fact, Mark says, I was so scared, I left my clothes in the garden and I literally ran out of the garden without my pants on. Like, really? I mean, if, if Mark was, if somebody was making this up to move something forward, you think they'd probably leave that out about one of the leaders of the movement. They, they describe Peter as, hey, th this guy Peter, man, he was the biggest coward of all. He, he was one of the biggest cowards, man. He, he literally denied even knowing Jesus. And then when a schoolgirl came up to him and asked him, hey, weren't you with Jesus? He was afraid of a schoolgirl. See, the reason that it's written in the way it's written, that there were no heroes, that no one expected it, the reason that, and, and this is another thing, that they wrote that women were first to the tomb, which you would have never done in that time period, because in that time period, women had no credibility. So for them to write into the story that women were the first to the tomb actually discredited what they were writing. But you know why they wrote that there were no heroes? You know why they wrote that no one followed Jesus the night he went to the cross? You know why they wrote that women were the first to the tomb? Because women were first to the tomb. Because there were no heroes. Because all of them ran. Because no one expected it. They didn't make it up. They just wrote what was true. Because Jesus was the center of his movement. And so when Jesus died, 
no one believed his message. When Jesus died, no one believed his claims anymore. He was the movement. The movement and the hope that came with it died the night Jesus died. And then we we get to John's gospel, his story, his, his writing of what happened. And in John chapter 20, verse 1, we we see what happened on that Easter morning. It says this, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. When Jesus died, they had taken his body off the cross, and men had, they prepared his body with spices, and they would wrap the body and put it in the tomb, and the women must have thought the men didn't do a good enough job, and so they decided a couple days later, hey, we're going to go to the tomb, and we're going to fix what the men messed up, and kind of re-put spices on the body, and so that's what they were doing. The ladies were going to the tomb to continue to prepare the body for its, its burial, and, and it says this, when, when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. See, the big stone that they had put in front of the the mouth of the tomb had been moved. And so for Mary, man, this, this rocked her world because the person and the movement that she and so many had given their lives for was gone. And now to think that somebody would just kind of push the knife in more and actually steal the body was terrible. We rocked her world. And she knew that not, none of his followers had done that because, again, he was the movement. So when he died, the whole thing died. And so if Jesus was dead, no one was going to risk their lives to keep a lie alive. And so Mary was beside herself when she went to the tomb and saw that the stone was gone and the body was no longer there. And so it says in verse 2 that, Mary came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. John wanted you to know he was the one Jesus really loved. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Again, this is a moment that you would think at least one of them would have said, but don't you remember one time when Jesus told us that this might happen? But none of them had a clue. They were all like, man, somebody stole the body. Who stole the body? And so it goes on in verse 3. It says, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. By the way, I'm faster than Peter, John wanted you to know. And reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter who was behind him, by the way, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, by the way, also went inside. He saw and believed. So Peter and John... Mary comes and is like, guys, the body's gone. Somebody's stolen Jesus' body. And Peter's just, I mean, if you read anything about Peter, he's like, he thinks after he acts. And so, man, he just takes off. And John must have been on the track team. So John follows him and actually beats him to the tomb. 
And John, he's kind of afraid, so he doesn't go into the tomb. But by the time Peter gets there, he doesn't care. He just runs right into the tomb. And he sees that the the stuff that was wrapping Jesus' body was folded up nicely. And the body was gone. And it says that John kind of got the courage to go in himself. He went in and he saw and believed. He saw that the body was gone and the light bulb went off. It says he believed. And see, we are here because on that Easter morning, when the women showed up at the tomb, Jesus' body was gone. We are here because a few days later, these people who were cowards the night Jesus was betrayed and the night he was put on a cross, these same people went out into the streets of Jerusalem and proclaimed not Jesus' teaching, not Jesus' parables, but they proclaimed that Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. These same people who the night Jesus died couldn't get away fast enough. See, Jesus' followers didn't re-engage because of something Jesus taught. Jesus' followers re-engaged when they found out Jesus was alive again. See, these disciples, these people that had followed Jesus, that had seen all the things he had done and had watched it and had put their hopes and dreams in this movement that they thought Jesus would, would start and, and take over and, and take over Rome and, and win against Rome and bring in the kingdom. When he died, these people were so afraid and had no clue what was going to happen. And then, as no one had expected it, Jesus rises from the dead and begins appearing to them. And these cowards become some of the most courageous people in the history of this movement. And each of them give their lives in gruesome ways for the same Jesus they ran the night he died. A few years later, the Apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians, he says this, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the good news. He says, I I preached it to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. I want to remind you of the foundation of this whole thing, Paul says. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Like this is a one most important thing. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. He says this, he says, go talk to them. These 500 people that Jesus, he, he appeared to, a lot of them are still alive. Man, go ask them. And he says this, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his brother. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, and this is so powerful, he appeared to me also. As to one abnormally born. Paul's basically saying, I am not worthy to be called an apostle. But even with my past, even with what I had done Even though the fact was that when I would enter a city, 
people, I would leave the city and people wouldn't have dads because I would have taken them out. Even that, the resurrected Jesus appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Yeah, the other disciples and apostles, yeah, they, they were afraid the night Jesus was killed and, and they ran and all that and all that's bad. But you know what? They didn't do what I did. And even with my past, even with the blood of Christians on my hands, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, appeared to me and it changed everything for me. And see, it's this idea that Jesus rose from the grave that not only changed Paul's life, but is so significant for every single one of us. See, it means that no matter how bad your church experience has been, no matter what is in your past, no matter what rebellious thing you were a part of, no matter what the story is that you don't want anybody to know, no matter what happened on that spring break or on that one business trip that nobody knows about, no matter what happened, because Jesus rose from the grave, you and I have hope for redemption because of Jesus. See, if he rose from the dead, it means we can trust what he said. It means despite all of our past, he took the punishment for it on the cross. And when he walked out of the grave, it was proof that he paid our debt and the check did not bounce. And when they, they put, when he said it is finished, it was written across all of humanity. It was taken care of. The debt has been paid. But you might push back a little bit and say, but you don't know about my life. You don't know about what I do. You don't know about my past. And, and to that, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift. You can't earn it of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Because if we could boast, we would. If we could earn it, we would have an award system for it and we would honor ourselves. And so Paul says, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what religious system you, you grew up in. It doesn't matter what your past is. This whole thing is by grace through faith, it's a gift from God. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's what makes it so special. It only is waiting for you to say yes to it. See, the resurrection punctuated the point of his crucifixion, the forgiveness of sins. But what's awesome is it goes beyond forgiveness. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it gives you faith and hope for your life. Some, somebody told you when you were a little kid that this whole thing was about fire insurance. Like, hey, pray this little prayer and check this little box and you won't burn forever in hell. Sign me up, man. What do I need to sign? And that's what somebody told you. The idea of going to heaven is pretty special. But it's just a little part of it. See, the idea of having a relationship with Jesus in this life, and then being able to spend eternity with him, 
That's what it's all about. And, and Jesus says this, hey, when I come in, I make things new. And, and some, some of us think, you know what? Well, I need to get things cleaned up before I come to Jesus. And I need to get all my questions answered before I come to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, bring your past. Bring your junk. Bring your questions. Because it all comes down to one question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? And if Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Both in this life and the life to come. I like how Paul Tripp said it, and I think this will be up on on the screen. He said this, he said, The empty tomb not only means he has conquered death, but it tells you he has life in his hands. The kind of life all human beings were designed to long for, whether they know it or not. You can't find or earn that life on your own. It is yours only by means of the work of another. It's why in spite of being hurt by religion, it's why in spite of your questions about the Bible, it's why in spite of the crazy things you've seen people do that they've signed Jesus' name to, in spite of all, th- all those things, you should consider following Jesus. Because as I already mentioned, the question you have to answer is, is Jesus alive? And if, it is, if he is, it validates what he said and it has huge ramifications on this life and eternity. And so maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, man, I do have a lot of questions. And Chris, when you talk about being hurt by religion, dude, I, I've got a story for you. When, when, when you, Chris, you talk about growing up in a system where, where people had you try to, told you you had to keep a list to kind of keep God happy with you, man, that, that's what I grew up in. And I, I threw that away. I didn't want any part of it. It just wore me out. Jesus is saying, hey, bring all that to me. And just answer the one question, am I alive? And if I'm alive, it changes everything else. So on this Easter Sunday, where we celebrate not something we hope happened, but we celebrate a historical event that began a movement that has lasted over 2,000 years that now a third of the world embrace. It's it's that movement that started when Jesus Christ came to earth as God's son. He lived a sinless life, and then at the age of 33, he went to the cross, and he bled and died in a gruesome way to take my sin, my punishment, what I deserved. And and what Jesus does for us is he says, hey, let's make a trade. You give me your junk, you give me your sin, you give me your past, you give me your shame, and I'll give you my righteousness, my hope, and my salvation. Let's trade. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And today, if you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, I don't have all the answers, and I definitely have a past, and I've got a lot of junk But I believe Jesus rose from the grave and I want to start a relationship with him. That's what he wants. He did all that he did because he loved you so much and he loved me so much that he did not want anything in between us. He wanted the sin that separated you from God to be taken care of so that you could have a relationship with him. 
You say, Chris, how, how, would I, how would I do that? How would I start a relationship with Jesus? Well, are, are you willing to, just in the quietness of your heart, are you willing to admit to God that, you know what? I've messed up. Yeah, I've sinned. I've been trying to fix myself for years and it hasn't been working. I admit, I don't have it all together. You willing to admit that to God? You willing to believe in your heart that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he did that for you? And then are you willing to simply come to him and and transfer your trust from yourself to what he did for you as your only way and ask him to save you and start a relationship with him? Are you willing to do that? But do I have to join church? Do I have to give money? Do I have to be baptized? Do I have to have all the questions answered? No. It starts with a relationship. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we close, maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, I do have a lot of questions. Chris, I have been hurt deeply by people that claim to be followers of Jesus. But Chris, I I admit that, man, I have been looking for hope. I've been trying everything to do it on my own, and I keep coming up empty. Well, today, Jesus desires a relationship with you. And if you're here this morning, and, and you would, just in the quietness of your heart, be willing to admit to God That you've sinned. Yes, I've disobeyed you, God. I've tried to do life my way. I've done it against your way, and it hasn't worked out well. Are you willing to admit that to God? Are you willing to, in the quietness of your heart, just believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he did that for you? And then are you willing to come to him and transfer your trust from what you're trusting in now to what he did for you on the cross as your only way. You willing to do that? As we close, I'm going to say a simple prayer. And if you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, today I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Just in the quietness of this room, not out loud, but just in your heart to God, you can say this prayer to God. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's what you believe in your heart. And we tell God what we believe in our heart through praying. And so in the quietness of this room, if you're here this morning and and you say, yes, today, I don't have every question answered. I've got a lot of past that I'm bringing into this relationship with Jesus. But man, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Just in the quietness of your heart, would you say something like this to God? Would you say, dear God, I admit to you, that I've sinned. I admit that I've tried to do it my way. God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and raise from the dead for me. Jesus, today, I'm coming to you. I'm transferring my trust from what I'm trusting in to what you did for me on the cross. Come into my life. Save me now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, today, just in the quietness of my heart, I prayed 
and asked Jesus to save me. Today I started a relationship with Jesus. Nobody's looking around, but if that's you, would you just slip your hand up? You just slip your hand up and say, today I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. Anybody else? You can put your hands down. In just a second, I'm going to pray and then the band's going to sing. But on your way out, I'd encourage you, every, really everybody, to, to take that card that it's under your chair, that little connect card. And if you made a decision for Jesus today of any kind, I'd encourage you to just write that on that card. You can also write your prayer request on that card. And then you can put that card in the offering plate when it passes later, or you can bring it to our next steps table. And if you started a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to give you a Bible and some help along your way. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the fact that we have freedom, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, not because we have the power to gain it on our own, but we have freedom today accessible to us because of what you did when you got up out of the grave. And Lord, we're so thankful that we worship a risen, alive King. In Jesus' name, amen.